We about to change this game, dear. Check my pockets, ain't nothing but game there. I remain without fear. Keep the lanes clear and the cast is all about scratch. Carl West, I'm not Curtis Monday. That's somebody else on another day. It's it's interesting how we all have this uh, love for Jay-Z. Me and Curtis and so many others in my generation. Jay-Z is that dude, right? We follow his model. And so to have that song come in. It's not my preferred song, though, Titus. Uh, you know my preferred song, right? Pull that up and make sure we can run that. Uh, but look, I'm Carl West, and I am here this morning on this Saturday morning. It's gloomy Saturday morning, actually. And because Curtis uh, couldn't be here, they rung me up and said, Carl, we need you to come in on a Saturday morning. And my initial response was exactly no. Uh, because Saturday mornings is such a sacred time for me to just have some quiet time all to myself. I typically always take myself to breakfast on a Saturday morning about 8 o'clock. I do some reading, meditating. But when uh, Sonia, the producer, called me and, and I told her no initially, and she said, well, you know, Carl Melody made this request. And I said, uh, okay, and still no. <laughs> and, then, and then she said, well, she said, you know we're going to have John Rogers. I said, okay, well, no breakfast this morning uh, because John is someone who I enjoy listening to uh, give his take on the world of business, small, medium, and large. And so this morning on the Urban Business Roundtable, we're going to talk about uh, small business. So let me give my script that I have to read. Welcome to the Urban Business Roundtable presented by Aero Investments. This weekly radio show is dedicated to the creation and the growth of the urban entrepreneurial and small business owner. You can listen to UBR Live on Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. and a condensed recap on Wednesday at 8.30 a.m. and Thursday at 6.05 p.m. Go to WVON.com and click on the Urban Business Roundtable banner and download the full podcast. UBM listeners, remember you can engage with all the guests on today's show by calling 312-374-8130. One more time, 312-374-8130. Now, here I am again, Carl West, Urban Business Roundtable. First, I want to introduce the in-studio guests. We have three actual guests on the show today. The other two will call in because we are practicing the social distancing that the governor and the mayor insisted that we do. And she went hard this weekend, this past week, to make sure that we follow scripts. And so, of course, WVON being a station that follows the rules most times, we are social distancing. John is probably about one, two, three, four, probably about five and a half feet from me. He ain't got the total six yet. I'm going to slide back a little bit because I know he might not be comfortable without being six. So I'm going to slide back a little bit uh, and introduce him first, but let me. We got John, John, Eric Johnson coming in from the uh, Baldwin Richardson Foods, and then we also got Congressman Robin Kelly, uh, Illinois' dynamic leader down there in D.C., bringing back the goods. Now, Mr. Johnson is going to be here as a call in, I think, at about 9 20, about 9 20. Wait a minute, no, he's coming in at 9 40. That's our next guest. And that's Mr. Johnson. And so we'll get to him as after me and John, John and I, and uh, Congressman Kelly spend some time talking about this horrific pandemic that's sweeping across the world uh, and how this has affected small businesses, which is one of John's expertise. So let me introduce John Rogers. Actually, John, you are the creator 
of this particular Saturday morning program, right, UB, UBR? Yes, we've been doing it for a very, very long time, and we've been thrilled to really uh, work with Melody and work with WVON. It's so important for us to talk about the stock market and investing on a regular basis. It's been about, what, 10 years since you've produced and presented this show uh, through VON? That sounds about right. Yeah. And I know the Melody Hobson, so I always say my Melody, uh, she was very instrumental in making all of this happen. Well, it has been an incredible addition to WVON because it's nothing more exciting for me that is, I know, and I'm sure lots of people that listen to the radio station, to hear uh, competent and relevant people talk about business. Uh, it's probably a conversation we should have more of on a consistent basis, and I think you can agree to that. Uh, it's a conversation we probably should have every single day. That should be roundtables, discussions, town halls, and meetings about how do we grow and maintain businesses, whether it be small or scale up to capacity. Uh, so how do you feel today? Oh, it's uh, it's been exhausting. It's like, you <laughs> to know, say it's the least. Yeah, I thought it would be pretty easy staying home for a week, but <laughs> we have one phone call after another from morning, noon, and night, all into the evenings, conference calls, special board meetings for all the different boards we're involved in, and it has been hectic and exhausting and stressful. So in other words, business don't stop. It doesn't. It's like I just thought it would be easier, but people still want to talk and work. But again, so many of the boards were involved, and they have these special meetings to talk about the challenges that they're facing. And whether it's a you know something like the Chicago Urban League, we had a, a board meeting a couple of weeks ago uh, to uh, have a great talk with Reverend Jackson last week. And there's just a lot of things that have been going on. There's a lot of stress that our community is facing, so it keeps us busy. Well, what what do you see? Let's just go right into this, right? the impact that this horrendous plague as as being called the invisible enemy is going to have on small businesses globally. I mean, do you think that this thing will uh, create, I say it's going to have an enormous amount of casualties that will be left in the rearview window, the rearview mirror? Well, you're exactly right. It's, this is devastating for small business worldwide. But it's particularly devastating for African-American small businesses here in the United States. As we all know, because of the way that we came to this country, we don't have multi-generational wealth. You know, we don't have that aunt or that grandmother or that grandfather who's got a pot of money that's been saved up that can help us and tide us through these tough times. Right. All the challenges that we face from Jim Crow to all the things that have gone on in this country, we have not been able to create the kind of wealth that we deserve. Mm-hmm. And our wealth gap's just gotten larger and larger and larger year by year. So we're especially vulnerable during this difficult time. But with that said, because with every tragedy, we would hope that once the smoke clears and we come from uh, behind the eight ball, so to speak, that there is a silver lining for small business. Is that something that you can actually think about? Can you imagine a silver lining for us after this? The one silver lining that I've been thinking a little bit about has been that, you know, we have some dynamic congressional leaders now. The House of Representatives is more liberal, more dynamic than it's ever been. You have not only with Congresswoman Kelly, who will be on later, has been a terrific leader on, for, on our issues, but Maxine Waters now chairs, as you know, the Financial, Financial Services Committee. You have dynamic Congress people like Congressman Joyce, Joyce Beatty from Columbus, Ohio, who chairs the Subcommittee on Diversity and Inclusion for the Financial Services Committee. With these dynamic leaders in Congress, 
fighting for us and making sure that minority businesses are getting their fair share, I think that's the one silver lining as we go forward. They're going to be able to make more and more of a difference for us. Okay. Well, mention Congressman Kelly. She's actually on the line. Robert Kelly. Congressman Robert Kelly, good morning. How you doing? Congressman Robert McKellen, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I, under the circumstances, I'm well. I'm here this morning. I'm in the company of a good guy. Uh, I'm on a great radio station, and now I have you on the line. You tell me. What's up? You're great. <laughs> so, Hi, John. Hi. How are you, Congresswoman? Thanks so much for taking I'm the time good. this morning. Oh, definitely. So, Robin, let's go, let's go right to this. Once, once again, thank you for joining us. I know you are You're busy. You're welcome. Uh, you guys just passed the stimulus package, uh, and I know you guys worked hard. All of our representatives from Illinois worked hard to get this done. And so I'm looking at the package now in front of me. It's a mm-hmm. historic $2 trillion. They call it coronavirus right. stimulus package. And I see that there's $350 billion in forgivable loans. Uh, what does that mean? Well, we realize that with... Well, first of all, from let me just say from the beginning, um, when we talked about we had to do, a, you know, a bailout that Democrats jumped up right away and said we have to take care of small business. It can't happen like what happened before, that there has to be a balance. So we just looked at ways under Nydia Velasquez, who's the head of small business, and you mentioned uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, you know, in which ways could we help small business? So, you know, with some of the package, it'll be uh, forgivable loans. Some of the package, it'll be um, grants. Uh, the forgivable loans is more we don't want to give people uh, money, and then they still wind up um, laying off people. So we want to make sure that we're giving you this money and we're giving you money so that people can still stay employed. You, you know, you can do other things with the money, but we want to make sure that you're still keeping uh, people employed, uh, not just you know, taking the money and then laying off people anyway. John, I'm sure you want to get in on this. You have some questions for Robert Kelly about this stimulus package. Well, one of the things I just wanted to start with with the drama yesterday of this Congressman Massey. Uh, oh, yeah. Can you tell us about <laughs> was what, was that, what was that all about? I think, you know, you never know sometimes with some of them, but some were absolutely against um, this package. Uh, uh, one of the big hold up from my understanding was, you know, um, you lose your job, you file for unemployment. And what we also put in, even when you get unemployment, you'll still get money on top of that. So a lot of them, you know, did not want to do that. And, you know, just like we say about the $1,200, that's great to be able to do that. But we know in some places, like my apartment in Washington, D.C., my one little one-bedroom apartment, you know, $1,200 is not going to pay the rent. But it seems like some of them didn't like the idea that uh, you were going to get $600 on top of that. So he tried to say there weren't enough people there. But uh, uh, like myself, a lot of us flew in knowing that it might just wind up being a voice vote instead of a recorded vote. Mm-hmm. But but we wanted to make a statement. It was Democrats and Republicans, almost everybody from the Illinois delegation flew in. I woke up at 4.30 in the morning, jumped on a flight, and then flew back last night. But he was just, I guess he was against it, you know, um, and was trying to make a statement or didn't like parts of it. 
Wow, that's absolutely crazy. So I know all of us are thinking, you know, I know that uh, Congresswoman uh, Waters was fighting hard to get things in the bill that would support African-American businesses. Can you sort of give us a status of what, what some of the challenges are and then what we could be doing going down the road to make sure that African-American businesses get our fair share and fair opportunity in this country? Well, one thing, I mean, everybody is qualified for the, you know, SBA loans, but there is a section, a minority business development section, and then there's a women's development center, and so um, that have money put in to them. And I know from um, talking to um, Melinda Kelly, and they're working with Axion, that they're already, before the bill, we even passed the bill in the House, or the president signed it in, they were already getting a small business and nonprofits agenda up to be able to um, take advantage of those um, of those either grants or, or those loans. And also, it changes some rules, like um, extends uh, a 7A loan to any business or nonprofit, well, under 500 employees, borrowers can receive loans equal to 2.5 times their monthly payroll, you know, mortgage, rent, and debt payment expenses up to $10 million. Borrowers can use these loans for a broad range of business expenses, including payroll, paid sick leave, mortgage, rent, utilities, because sometimes, you know, there's criteria put on uh, how you can use the money, but we've kind of uh, uh, removed some of those um the criteria so people can best use uh, the money they receive as they think is best to keep their business uh, going. And it directs SBA not to collect fees or reduces the fees for these loans to the maximum extent possible. Um, the normal prepayment penalties are also to be waived. So we're just trying to do everything we can um, to make it easier for businesses to survive uh, during this time. Congressman Kelly. Here's the, here's the question everybody wants to know. How soon can people expect those checks uh, to well, their, their mailboxes or either I heard there was going to be direct deposits? Right. If you, uh, what I was told, it's better if you, you know, if you file taxes before, if you file taxes this time and you have direct deposit, that money should be going right into your uh, checking account. So it should be around April 6th. So. Okay. Uh, less than two weeks, if I'm calculating right. I'm losing, yeah, less than two weeks. If you get it by mail, it might take uh, a little bit longer. And, again, it's 1200 if you make 75000 or less, a little less amount if you're between seventy-five and 99000 and for every uh, child, $500. So it, it should be in your mailbox uh, around April 6th. Congressman, thank you. Congressman, you cover a very large district here in Illinois. What are you hearing from the small businesses that you uh, have in your district? What are you hearing from them? I'm sure they got to be a lot of complaints, a lot of questions, a lot of agony, a lot of pain. What are you actually hearing from the people who own businesses? Well, actually, I've had two uh, tele, um, I said town hall meetings. Mm -hmm. One was just specifically for small business, and then the other was general for the 2nd Congressional District, which is urban, suburban, and rural. We had about 6,000 people wow. on the line. But for small business, um, well, I did have one person just upset that the small businesses had to close, that she didn't understand that. So we had to kind of talk through that a little bit. And then, like you said, they were just um, 
this is before we passed the um, bill. I don't even know if we passed the second bill. I can't remember now. But, um, you know, their concerns um, were, you know, how they were going to pay their rent, how they were going to move, you know, what were they going to do about their employees, just things that you would uh, think. They didn't really, people didn't really complain. They just wanted to know, you know, what we were trying to do, like with SBA and um, unemployment. It was just one person that was really upset about uh, restaurants having to close and, you know, uh, uh, non-essential. But, of course, that was that comes from the state, not from uh, the federal. But what we were trying to explain to her, like, we're our own best weapons as far as, you know, social distancing, washing hands. It sounds simple, all those things, but, right. but they do work. And I know the second biggest question after when you're going to receive this payment, and I'm sure you probably have some uh, secrecy being a state legislator uh, uh, in the Congress, and that is when do you think, when, what's the projection of when this thing will break and folks will be able to get back to some sense of normalcy in terms of back to work, back to school, even back to play. I mean, we saw on the beaches, people just want to come out and have a good time and I know. play with all of this stuff going on internally with people's emotions. They just want to come out and have a good time. You can almost see why they would want to do that, but of course they have to be smart. So when do you think this thing, if you had to give an estimate, when it's going to end? You know what? I, I know the governor has it until April 7th, but right. he's already hinted that he might have to make it, you know, longer. And the thing is, it's almost like if you're in New York, you know, it's it's worse there, but they feel like, you know, it, it, it's going to come to Illinois. They talked about Chicago today and Cook County, right. you know, their rate of getting cases. So I, to be honest with you, I really don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, another month. And it's really, really hard. People do have to find um, things to do you know, within their home or, I mean, it's not that you can't go outside, but you just have to keep your distance and as far as you need to exercise and those kind of things. And I'm glad that we're sending, and of course, never enough that we're, we've created something where there is some financial, you know, relief because my, um, uh, someone I know well, you know, works for nine one one, and she made the comment that, a lot of calls that came in dealt with domestic violence wow. because, you know, you know how lack of money or lack of space, you, you can get in each other's space. You know, it, it's scary, the other repercussions, right. you know, that can come. So I, I can't tell you a time um, because there's so many things that as a congressperson and congresspeople that we've had planned and we've just had to cancel you know, one by one, or people have canceled us. So okay. John, that's a hard yeah, question, I, but the more we pay attention to what we're supposed to do, I think um, the quicker um, we'll flatten the curve. Yes, we, at least we hope that. Uh, John. Yeah, I had one more. Um, you know, Carl talked about what are the bright spots out there that could help uh, African-American businesses. One question I have for you is, you know, if, if some of these big companies like United and, and Delta and American Airlines get support from Congress, and which they are, and maybe it's even partial ownership. Can we use that leverage to finally get some of these giant airlines to do business with African American companies in all the different things that we do? Because those industries have been notorious for not really working with us and not including us in business opportunities. Well, I can tell you know, um, 
thanks to you and and Robert Blackwell and other people we've spoken to, and like you've mentioned, my 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 great bud Joyce Baby, and and I will tell you, Benny Thompson has been in this fight a long time, and Clyburn, and I could go on and on and on. These are some of the things that the Congressional Black Caucus, you know, have talked about, and we've sent each caucus, a part of the Dem Caucus, we've sent you know, uh, what we want into leadership. And this is very, very, you know, important to us that this is um, not that we don't do it on a smaller basis, but this is the way to do it on a larger basis. And also the demand that they don't get rid of their, you know, employees. People talk a lot about the bailout before um, the 2008 time and, and what big companies did. And we definitely don't want to see that again. And, um, yes, we – this is the time to use um, leverage, and uh, um, and not that we don't talk about it now and ask questions now. We 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 sent many a letter to um, you know Google, Facebook, and that, and uh, and you know because um, we dealt with you as far as the NFL. So no, I I, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, John, you want to add anything else before we let the great congressman go? I just say I just appreciate all of your work, uh, Congressman Kelly, and just. Thank you for taking this time, and I know you're fighting hard for all of us uh, there in Washington. Well, we thank both of you. Uh, you're, you're part of our uh, conscience, so keep it going and, and keep asking us right. and, take, and, take, and, and making suggestions to us. We appreciate both of you so very much. Right. Take care, Congressman. Have a good day. Weekend as well. All right. Uh, this is Carl West. This is the Urban, Round ta- Urban Business Roundtable, and we are back in a flash right now. You're listening to the Urban Business Roundtable presented by Ariel Investments. Want to know more about Aerial Investments? Whether you're saving for retirement or building your financial legacy to pass down to future generations, Aerial has several mutual funds to consider. To open your mutual fund account today, visit aerialinvestments.com. That's aerialinvestments.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at Aerial Invests. And remember, slow and steady wins the race. Back at you with the Urban Business Roundtable. My man Titus, you know my theme song. There we go. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, we can't play the lyrics because Jay-Z kind of went a little ham on that song. Even though it was all real, he went ham, and it's not good for the viewers of WVON now on a Saturday morning. When I was doing my late-night show, we can get away with that a little bit, Titus, but not this morning. And we know Melanie listening. She'll have a fit if Jay-Z came <laughs> glaring through her speakers with the words that he delivered. But again, thanks a lot, Titus. Carl West, Urban Business Roundtable. I am back at you. Uh, in the studio at a social distance is Mr. John Rogers from Aerial Investments. And we just got through having the congressman on the phone, Congressman Robin Kelly. She gave us some great insight into what's going on. Now we have on the live line Eric Johnson, president and CEO at Baldwin Richardson Food. What's up, Eric, Mr. Johnson? Good morning, Carl. How are you? I am uh, glad to hear you on the program this morning as well. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. We know you have 
had a tremendous and long legacy of business in the state of Illinois, city of Chicago, and of of course, Baldwin Ice Cream is a global brand. And so uh, you got your buddy in here, Mr. Rogers. Hey. Hey, good morning, Eric. It's a Thank you so much for being willing to be on the show this morning. My pleasure. So let me let you and uh, uh, John have a couple of words on this because you guys are familiar with each other. So the business that you guys have done in the past as associates, as friends, you, John, go ahead and, and walk Eric through this, through what we're talking about this morning, please. Okay. Well, the first thing, Eric, I'd just like to talk about is the fact that you built one of the you know, largest African-American-owned companies in the, in the country. You know, you're, I think, number 16 on the Black Enterprise list of top 100 black companies in the country, sales over $250 million. You know, how is this, and you, you know, you serve as some of the largest restaurant chains uh, in the world, throughout the world, and many other food companies. How has this uh, pandemic impacted uh, your business? And could you give us a little insight of how that's uh, what's happening today. So, John, the one thing that's very unique about the circumstance that we're in today and how it affects all businesses is typically when we have a major downturn, that's a result of either economic recession, it could be an intervention event like 9-11, but this was a pandemic and it basically shut businesses down. So whatever was normal, you know, one day, the very next day that business is closed. So for companies like us, one of the things that that did was, you know, we're servicing McDonald's and all of these large brands, and there's an inventory level because, again, business was running at a normal pace. All of a sudden you go to stop. And so the food chain short term is full of inventory, is full of, you know, goods in transit, but all of a sudden your need and your demand has gone to about 50% of what it was one day before. So right now we're going through a period where every day we're trying to reevaluate, you know, what are our customers' needs? What are the things that we need to do from a production standpoint? You know, reevaluating your cash flows, looking at all of your capital projects to make sure that you are constantly refocusing and bringing it in line. Now, our job is a lot easier than many of these small businesses. So, you know, as you were talking earlier in the program with Congressman Kelly and, you know, thinking in terms of small African-American businesses, they all of a sudden just had to stop, you know, and they've got payroll. They've got no they didn't have any ability to kind of slow it down or, or adjust for the certain and uncharted economic reality that we're all in today. So it, it's been a time where you really have to be sharp. You have to be on top of all the things that you can do. And, you know, when we think about the relief packages or anything else that's happening out there that could benefit these businesses, speed is the bottom line. I mean, if we can quickly get to these companies and do something that's impactful, we can save many of these businesses. Otherwise, they just don't have the economics to be able to close, sit there, let all their expenses run, and be viable in two or three months. And, Eric, I was going to ask, too, you know, um, you have been partners with McDonald's for a long time, and I know it's grown into many, many food chains you work with. 
you know, McDonald's has had a long history of black franchisees, black suppliers, black executives, you know, legends like Cyrilla McSween and, and Don Thompson and Herman Petty and others. Can you talk about that unique relationship and how important McDonald's has been in both helping you build the business but also in, in these more troubled times? Well, you know, there's no question about it. McDonald's has been a great business partner. Um, we have a strategic relationship with McDonald's. And what does that mean? We today supply about 70% of all the liquid products for McDonald's. So out of the 14,000 U.S. restaurants, we supply about 9,300 of them. And the requirements that we have are vital to keeping that business uh, system in play. So, you know, if, if we don't produce or can't produce, it's going to show up in all these restaurants. And there's no immediate substitute for that production. So we take a lot of care. And with the help of McDonald's, you know, we've developed systems that are very sophisticated for a business our size, even at, you know, $270 million. When you think about the food industry, that's still a small business because most of the companies that are in the food business are multi-billion dollar companies. They've got hundreds of thousands of employees. And we're competitive in that environment because we have the type of systems and we can dip, develop and deliver the type of quality that McDonald's requires and we can do very well and be competitive in that environment. Uh, I'm going to go back to what John had was alluding to earlier uh, and, and that is what exactly did, have you done differently in this last two to three weeks as a business owner? Because you just mentioned about McDonald's being a, a huge partner of yours. And, of course, they, like a lot of fast food franchises, had to slow production. They had to slow down, and I think they're probably only doing drive through now. Uh, even though I heard that drive through is 70% of McDonald's business. I never knew that until I saw that come across my feet the other day. I was like, really? 70% of their business is done through the drive through So I assume that that didn't do too much of a damage to their bottom line by closing the in-store walk-ins. But, again, what have you done slightly different, and what are you prepared to do once this thing comes to an end? So, so Carl, you are correct that McDonald's had about 75% of their sales through drive-through. The difference is that the traffic volume is about 25% of what it used to be. Okay. So the streets are not full of people and lunchtime is not a place where, you know, mass numbers of people have to go and get something because they have to return to work. So the whole system has changed substantially. Now, what are we doing? So the first thing we had to do was understand where was all of the food in the chain? How much was at the DCs? What were the shelf life issues, if any, that existed with that? What did our schedules look like? How much inventory do we have on hand? How did we reduce our production schedule? Because that's the first thing we did was to reduce our production schedules. Then we had to look at all the raw materials. Remember, much of what we do for McDonald's involves fresh fruits and things that, you know, once you commit to them, have to be used in one way if it's milk and, and milk can you know have a potential for going sour so all of those things from a quality perspective we had to go through then we had to look at our people and define so one of the first things we did was we knew that we didn't need as many temps in our labor force then we tried to figure out what is our actual schedule that we need and how do we um, balance that 
so that we can at least stay in operation. Because what you don't want to do with a manufacturing facility is simply shut it down. Because that startup is not as easy as it might seem. It's not a matter of just flipping a switch. So we've brought all of our people and all of our um, technical uh, capability to really look at this and evaluate. And quite frankly, we're doing it multiple times per day. Wow. And I think we're just now getting to a point where we're saying we can see forward now for about three weeks to, to a month. Okay. And we have to keep that flexibility because we also don't know when does this change. Right. So okay. if we got to a point and the virus disappeared and all this activity comes back, then we've also got to be prepared on that day to be able to supply the needs as they move forward from there. All right. Thank you. John has a question for you. And, Eric, I know it's uh... – it's really here. It's great to hear the thoughtful uh, things you're going through and working through to make sure that your employees are treated well. One of the things that uh, I find is so fascinating about your your life is that you know, you're the son of the legendary business leader George Johnson, who, is, as you know well, you know had the first African American company listed on a major stock exchange, uh, the American Stock Exchange. You know he built up uh, this extraordinary business around Afrosheen and Ultrasheen hair care products. It was just a wonderful company. And he also, of course, not only did he employ over 500 people, but he helped start Independence Bank that became the largest black bank. He created uh, Soul Train with Don Cornelius. You know, he was an early backer of Essence and with all the advertising he had there. He just had such an enormous impact and arguably one of the most successful African-American entrepreneurs in, in history. And, of course, been a hero and role model of mine. So I was curious, as you've been building your business, what would be the key themes or key ideas that you learned from your dad that have helped you build this extraordinary business? Well, well, John, the first thing I would tell you is that I was absolutely blessed uh, because I got to see it firsthand. So a lot of times when people are looking at successful entrepreneurs, they see the asset side of the balance sheet. They see all of the things that they can acquire. They see where they live, how they live. What, what I got to see was the hard work, the dedication, the things that didn't go well, how he had to really you know, struggle with the business on a regular basis to keep it in a position where it can be competitive. Uh, the, the day that I became president of the company, the business had gotten into a lot of competition. You know, it was starting to lose money. And we came back again to to really be very profitable again. And what I saw with my dad and what I saw, quite frankly, in others, because if you look at John Johnson, Dempsey Travis, you know, the people that ran Joe Lewis Milk. I mean, when we think back to the legacy of Chicago as well, um, all of these companies went through major issues in order to survive and some did not survive so sometimes what you learn also out of that is how do you stay in the game and my dad was extremely fortunate he, he lived and still you know is um probably listening to this broadcast right now and is is a role model that i just feel so grateful that i got to see it firsthand and understood the full story you know, I'm I'm inspired. I always loved your family. I mean, I've always looked at business. Even as a kid, I've watched in Chicago. My ment- one of my mentors, Mr. Bill Garf, 
always told me to pay attention yep. to everybody that you want to emulate. Look at them, listen to them, study them, and try to figure out a business model for you. And I wanted to say something, John, and I heard you say this before, and I wanted to mention to, this, to, to you a while ago, and that is when we mentioned, as you stated, that George Johnson is probably one of the, if not the premier black business person, why don't we erase the word black from that label? He is one of the premier business people in the world. I think that we should take that title away when we describe our leaders, whether it be sports legends, business leaders, economists, educators. Let's put them in the same boat as others and not in the black category as a black top business person. This man, John George Johnson, was a a stalwart of a business person across the board, any, any race and nationality, and such as yourself, John, and such as you, Eric, you are business people, and you can compete with any other business, black or white or others, and we should kind of label ourselves as just business people. Well, So, Carl, I will tell you that my dad received a lot of honors during his life, probably, I, I think, nine honorary degrees. But what I had framed and what I think was one of the most important honors that he got was the Wall Street Journal in 1999 ran a article on the greatest business people of the 20th century. And that included Bill Gates, uh, Packard, and others. And they put George Johnson in that group. And they, one of the reasons that they did it was not only because of what he did with Johnson Products Company, but to John Rogers' point, he paid Essence Magazine three years advertising in advance so that they could stay in business. He brought in and did business with a lot of other African-American businesses to build their businesses. Wow. He created the distributors out there in all these cities to sell Ultra Sheen and Ultra Wave and Afro Sheen products that ultimately became independent business people. Yes. So it was his ability to help others build business. And that's one big piece of the legacy that I carry with me today is how can we as a company today continue to mentor, continue to grow, and continue to help build African-American business in this country. Absolutely. John has a question. Yeah, I was going to say one thing I'll comment, and then a question is that we've gotten away from that too often. and. The kind of things that your dad did, too, that are sort of unspoken and sort of sometimes not talked enough about. But, you know, he worked with all kinds of you know, black accounting firms. You know, my mom's law firm, uh, Ariel Investments, he was always there supporting. And then supporting our civil rights movement, whether it was the Urban League or, of course, Dr. King and then helping Harold Washington get elected uh, mayor. So many important initiatives that are sort of sometimes not talked enough about, in our, I think, in our city, in our country. But one of the things, Eric, also I wanted to touch base on, you have been building a great management team that includes uh, your family. And how are you, I know you've built uh, that kind of infrastructure that will keep Baldwin Richardson alive for a long, long, long time into the next century. Can you talk a little bit about how you've done that? Yes. Well, we've been very blessed that our business, you know, in 1998, uh, we were about a $10 million business. And then we got into Richardson Foods, and we've continued to grow. So today, that business is $275 million. 
And when I look at where I was in 1992 with Baldwin ice cream, roughly around $3 million. And I look at that growth in a period of about 25 to 30 years. I'm saying, what can we do for the next 30 years? And I've been blessed that we have both a management team and a two daughters who are involved in the business today full time. My son, John, has been involved in the business at one point in time and, and, and may uh, find his way back in there again. But he's, he's very uh, involved right now in the financial industry. But to be able to carry that business forward, very few businesses ever became major corporations in one generation. Outside of the tech environment that we live in today, the businesses that do the basic work of food and so forth are 100 years old. They're 150 years old. And so mm -hmm. we've got to be able to allow these businesses to grow for multiple generations and also in terms of wealth building, to be able to have a family that can continue to have that engine feed the development of that family for a long period of time. And we've been successful in doing that. And one of the things that has to happen is at some point, the individual who really helped build the company, in that case, it's me, has to be in a position where they're not looking to optimize what could be a payday, but to be able to make that possible because from a tax perspective, you have to start early and you have to have a good plan in order to be able to transition that wealth into the future generations. And, and I feel blessed that we've been as a family able to do that. Okay. Hey, Eric, I am sitting here, I'm being inspired just listening to the legacy of your dad and then what you are doing with this present company. I want to appreciate you. I want to I thank you. I appreciate you for coming on and sharing your Saturday morning with us. This has been very inspiring, and I hope that you continue. I know you'll continue to do what you got to do. And, John, any fat, past words, uh, final words for Eric? I would just want to thank you, Eric, for taking the time to do this. It's just so important for people to hear your voice and how you can build a business from one generation to the next, build a business of scale, and create real wealth for our community and philanthropy for our community, political empowerment for our community. It's just so, so important what you've been able to build and build on the legacy of uh, your extraordinary, extraordinary father. Eric, the black walnut is the best, man. That's my favorite. But you got you guys stop selling that in this region, in Chicago, man. Where's my black walnut at, man? It's the best ice cream well, ever. What, what happened with Baldwin ice cream is <laughs> after 2008 and the decline that happened all across the country, combined with people looking at calories and and the age of our population in Chicago, it simply did not. You, you know, like I told the lady once, she called me and she says, you know, I, I, I want to see this ice cream back on the shelf. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm the coach of the team. And, and the truth is that those players didn't have a high enough batting average. <laughs> okay, coach. I appreciate that, man. Uh, have a rest of your good weekend. And, again, thanks for coming on, man. And, Carl, thanks for being there today. And, John, a pleasure always. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, John, um, let's go back. I want to go back real quick to what I, what I talked about, and I think that you nodded your head in agreement with that, and that is that uh, one of the things that I believe we have to do, not just for present, for us, right, for future generations of young potential business leaders coming up, 
And that is to not put ourselves in a little box in terms of saying the best black business person of all times, right? Mm -hmm. We are capable, and you know this, right? You compete with a multitude of people in your space. And you are equal or if not better than probably the majority of them. Um, And so to be able to label you as a black business person, I think does a disservice to to you. I'm respectfully saying that. I think that you are compatible to anybody that's in your space as a business person. And I don't, I don't want to say, oh, well, John is, you know, John Rogers area is the best black business mm-hmm. around. No, he is the top business person in that space, if not around the country. I think it's just a conversation and things that we have to be mindful of because I hear that. I was like, no, 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 he's the best. He's the Michael Jordan is not the best black basketball <laughs> right. player, right? He is the best ball player of all times, not just the best black basketball player. We have to look at being the best in that space all times. Right. No, I, I agree. And, you know, f- following the footsteps of these giants here in Chicago, they had to have more ingenuity. They had to work harder. They had to be smarter because there were so many barriers to their success. They didn't have access to capital. They didn't have access to these offices where they could get great relationships with the anchor institutions here in our community. Um, it was harder to hire folks in those days. So for them to be so successful meant they had to be more talented. They had to be more gifted because there's so many obstacles and still so much implicit and unconscious bias out there where folks don't see us as business leaders right. in these new industries. And we have to prove ourselves. And as always, we've always been told since we've been young, we have to be twice as good to be able to make it. Absolutely. So your points are very well taken. What have you done differently over the last few weeks with your business? Well, what we're doing is we've learned that we can work uh, remotely and um, we're just working harder than ever because we've got to make sure we're, you know, Melody Hobson has been on, on, in constant contact with our customers, thanking them for the relationship, letting them know in real time what we're doing during this crisis, what stocks we're buying, what industries we like, what decisions we're making, how our technology is helping us to stay alive and, and to grow, and to make sure and reassure people we're going to come out of this stronger than when we went into it. And I think that's a very, very important point. Did you know that in that package, the stimulus package, they actually allocated $1.5 billion for HBCUs? Did you see that? I had heard that was going to be in there. That's, that's actually amazing. Isn't that amazing? And it just shows you political empowerment matters. Elections matter. When we go out and vote and we support our progressive leaders, we can get those types of outcomes. Yeah, that's great. Look, I want to thank you again. It's always a pleasure seeing you out. Every time I hear you going somewhere to speak, I always try to come and put myself in the front row seat, <laughs> even though you repeat a lot of things that you say, but it's always good to hear that record playing that hook over and over and over again so it resonates in my brain the way you think, the way you see business, the way you think that we as business people, aspiring business people, should live our lives and try to move the needle forward, John. I want to thank you, and I want to thank WVON, and this is the Urban Business Roundtable presented by Aero Investments. Thank you. He is a great sponsor. Make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UBR1690. Melody, thank you for insisting that I come down here. It was a, it was a good look. I'm not tripping. Anyway, I'm Carl West, man. Peace and see you on the other side. Let's stay in and have some distancing as much as you can. Peace.